Well, it's great to have John O'Flegg from Freshwater Strategy in the studio with us on SEN Afternoons, SEN 1170 in Sydney, SEN 693 in Brisbane, to talk the business of sport. Thanks for dropping in, Jono. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. It's great to be back in the new year and uh, exciting to be back in your brand new sort of uh, studios here. It's They're looking good. Changed. They're looking yeah. good. They're coming together beautifully. Um, I'm just filling in for the week, but uh, it makes you want to come back because this place is being jazzed up nicely. Let's talk uh, a bit about uh, some big subjects in the business of sport. And we're getting close to the start of the Australian Open. And it's just it's such an enormous event. And I guess with that in mind, Alex Dimonor is just about the most watchable Australian sports person right now. When you consider he's just gone into the top 10, we're hoping he can make a deep run and get beyond a quarterfinal, which he's never done in a Grand Slam. If he does that in his home Grand Slam, as we've learned in the past with Aussies who do well at the Australian Open, it becomes a behemoth of a story. Um, where does he sit, Alex Dimonor, in terms of business athletes in Australia, recognisable brands? Is he undersold? Could he be elevated a bit larger? Where's he at for you in that sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, well, first of all, to say that there's 13 Aussie men on the draw, which is pretty exciting in itself, right? So uh, we haven't seen that kind of um, uh, participation from Aussie men in the AO for, for quite a while. But uh, look, you know, the Demon's got a, a hot hand at the moment. I mean, he's, he's managed to, to beat uh, four top 10 players um, since New Year's Day. That's the kind of form he's coming into the tournament with. And so um, it's the kind of story the Australians just love getting on board with. Mm. And, you know, he's kind of, he's obviously just entered into the top 10, which is the peak of his career in terms of seeding. But uh, he, he, he generally in his career, he's, he's obviously floated a little bit lower. Um, and so when we talk about the Demon or brand, yeah. which I think perhaps a lot of Australians are only still starting to come to appreciate now that he's really pushing into that top 10 um, favoured kind of players in the world. Um, he is definitely a bit undervalued, I think. Um, you know, he, he does have a good coterie of sponsors, um, but he's very, very different to the brash, uh, you know, Nick Kyrgios. Mm. I mean, it's yin and yang. Yeah. Um, and there are a certain bunch of sponsors who love the Nick Kyrgios uh, appeal because he, he's very much um, followed by the the Gen Zs, you know, who are pushing through. Um, he's he's a real pinup boy for Gen Zs and the the brashness and uh, you know behaviour on and off the court works works for those brands. But Demonor is the is the opposite. He's composed. Um, he is a bit more of a classic, uh, sort of, uh, tennis player. Mm. Um, and so the brand equities he's got are kind of a little bit different, yeah. but I think he's a bit undervalued. I think now that's in the top 10, you know, he's going to be a huge story. I think this, this AO it's, um, it's going to be interesting. Wonder how many sponsors will be ringing, uh, after the Australian open is done this year. Yeah, there's such a contrast between Dimonor and, say, a, a Nick Kyrgios, of course, because of the way in which they carry themselves, not only off the court, but on the court. I mean, Kyrgios' style is so exciting. Dimonor, a bit more methodical, of course. And as we know, that that's, creates a difference in terms of, uh, of viewership. But results speak louder than anything. Um, do you feel like for Dimonor to get to that next level, he almost has to do more than, say, a Nick Kyrgios, who's the, the prime example in contrast, because of their different styles, like for him to get that ultimate recognition, he has to go and make a, a semi-final and, and really jump up. And when you consider he's a top 10 player in the world, it really does feel like he is undervalued on the Australian sporting landscape right now. Yeah, the, the top 10 sort of move for him is a recent uh, a recent one. And I think I think you're right. He, he will need to use this opportunity. Mm. I think he's very aware of the platform he's got. I yep. mean, he's as I said, he's the top he's ever been. Um, he's in the best form of his entire career and he's playing in his home uh, Grand Slam 
So this is the greatest platform he could have as a sportsman. And if you look at the draw, the draw came out yesterday. Uh, he definitely has a real uh, chance of going deep. Um, there's a lot of hype and Australians love hype. Uh, you know, we love to hype our, uh, our own, but like in reality, I mean, he doesn't face, um, uh, until I'd say the quarters, um, he's definitely got the type of form mm. right now that could get him to at least the quarters. He doesn't, uh, come across Djokovic until the semis. And that's, I would say a bit of a showstopper, even though he did beat the, the Joker, um, this year, uh, in, in the United cup. Uh, there, there is an opportunity to go into the semis. Um, and obviously the joker in a semis of a, of a grand slam is going to be a, a tough one, mm. but yeah, look, I think honestly quarterfinals is definitely on the cards at a minimum Yeah, for him. If he gets past Rublev in the round of 16, then it's, um, Sinner in the quarterfinals. It feels like he needs to claim a big scalp. If he does that at a grand slam, in particular his own one, then he gets catapulted to a whole nother level. And you're right. The brands are probably lining up. For him, and he becomes—he's already a massive sporting star in, in Australia. But he goes to that next level, perhaps that top four or five in the nation right now. If he does it in the Australian Open, I find as if we almost undervalue our home Grand Slam a little bit here in Australia. Maybe we lose perspective a touch because it's an annual event. When you consider how global a sport tennis is, to have a major here every year—I look at a sport like golf—and we get no big events worldwide for golf. The Presidents' Cup every eight years or whatever in Australia. There's always talk about a traveling major in golf and they always say, can't go to Australia because of the TV ratings in America. They'll never go for it. The sponsors will walk. It's too hard for them. Um, you know, we talk about the World Cup. We had the Women's World Cup here, but the complaint about hosting a Men's World Cup is, yep, TV times, time zones and all that. Too hard for sponsors and TV networks to, uh, to agree to it. Yet we have this tennis Grand Slam in Australia every single year. Um, it's an amazing event. Do we almost lose focus of how big it is and how lucky we are to have it here annually? Absolutely, Dan. Look, I think uh, given the size of the Australian market, uh, we are really privileged to have a Grand Slam. And, uh, you know, it's always positioned as the Asian uh, Grand Slam because the eye is to uh, to some of those northern markets. Mm. And you see that reflected in the, in the tournament sponsors with Kia uh, being the, the, the naming rights partner for for, for the, um, for the grand slam. But yep. I think, I think, uh, not only is it, uh, are we privileged to have it? I mean, we actually, uh, we actually, the whole event is actually so well managed and put on, yeah. um, in particular Victorian government, they just do major events so well down there. And, um, so this is just another example of something that we should be lucky and very proud of. Um, cause there is a world one day where we may lose it. You know, um, I, I, I hate to ever think that day would ever come, but we're a very small market and we've got one of the four great Grand Slams in the world. So long mate, continue. 100%. John O'Flegg is with us from Freshwater Strategy talking the business of sport. I know something you're very interested in that you're going to enlighten our listeners on is the college punter fascination for Australians and this influx over the last 10 years or so. It started with Darren Bennett, I think many years ago, who was the uh, the first punter, former AFL player for Melbourne and West Coast, who went over there. And we've had a whole heap since that have made it in the pros, in the NFL. But in the college system now, there are just Aussies going in their droves. Can you talk us through what's actually transpiring in that way? Yeah, absolutely. The It's been a bit of a long tail. I mean, I think you got to go back to Colin Scott's in the 1980s yeah. uh, when he went over there, went to the University of Hawaii, I believe, and then managed to make it into... The NFL. Uh, I remember reading his book, Balls and All. He's an interesting guy, interesting character. He was the one that uh, laid the foundations, um, but it really didn't take off. Uh, this whole punter phenomenon 
uh, didn't take off until uh, well the the pro uh, the pro kick uh, organisation yep. uh, institute that is down in based in, out of Victoria didn't kick off until 2007. And what the guys who set that up really recognised was that we have a, a wealth of talent around. Uh, young young men in particular who are able to kick, you know, they grow up, whether it's AFL or rugby league, rugby union, mainly AFL, I would say, is, is where they're drawing their talent from. Mm. Guys who just know, first of all, how to kick the ball, um, which is unlike uh, most American boys when they're playing with their dads, they're throwing, they're tossing the ball. Um, we kick the ball. Um, so there's that recognition. So to get into, so this, this uh, pro kick academy that's running down in Melbourne has laid the foundations for now. We see this phenomenon in the uh, in the college system in America. So there's 133 college teams that yep. play college football in America. There's 75 Australian punters. Wow! So it's like the hottest in ticket in town. It's like if you don't have an Australian punter, there's something wrong with you. It's almost 50 um, percent of schools. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's incredible. There's there's more there's more Aussie punters than not. And so um, to get into most of the, those players have been facilitated through the Pro Kick Academy. Um, they're guys who may not have managed to get a career going in Aussie rules or rugby league. Mm. Um, but the entry into pro kick is only, there's only three things you need to get into the pro kick Academy. Uh, first of all, it's an invitation. So I don't know, maybe some of your listeners might know how to get an invitation. Um, but there's two qualifying, um, uh, features is you need to be able to kick the ball 40 yards. Now, um, you know, a 40, 20 in rugby league is pretty common. Yeah. Um, you know, that's 40 meters. Um, we have plenty of, you know, you could probably go through the local shopping center and, and meet guys who can kick 40, 40 meters or 40 yards. Um, and, uh, the other one is four and a half seconds hang time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we have like tons of players that may not have even got even close to playing AFL level or rugby NRL level football who can potentially get into that, um, academy. Once the players are in the academy in Melbourne, um, 90% of them are going on to get scholarships in America. So it's this incredible pathway because if they can translate, if some of these young Aussie guys who are coming through can translate um, a college career into an NFL career in America, I mean, you know, the good the good punters get paid three million mm. US dollars uh, a year. The the minimum salary would be a hundred million US dollars a year. It's in excess of any anything. Well, a million a million US. A million US, yeah. yeah, that's right. So in excess of even our superstars in rugby league. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really interesting pathway that a lot of guys are trying out and they're having a lot of success. The job security is not high though. Um, you can get cut at any time, of course, but uh, why not give it a crack? My goodness, what an experience. Even if you don't make it, go and roll around in the college system for a, a few years, have that experience, get some education. Our producer Alex did that, um, playing uh, soccer over there in, uh, in the college system in America. Um, so why wouldn't you give it a go? And my goodness, you Get it up to the uh, the NFL. It's uh, yeah, your life set in a sense. And um, the college football system is enormous. We were speaking off air about the ranking, if you like, of American sports at the moment. I think everyone understands the NFL is number one. And um, how would you rank them? You know, the business of sport perspective in terms of the American codes, where the college football sits, and um, yeah, what might transpire considering the dominance of the NFL for us here in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And so the the NFL has kind of made it pretty clear that Australia is a market of interest. Um, I meet guys all the time who are, are massive NFL fans. Um, but there's there's a whole bunch of people uh, who are college fans. They're, they're, they're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, guys who follow college teams like the Alabama 
um, team or, you know, the Longhorns uh, or the Michigan Wolverines that won mm. the college, uh, the college uh, super uh, contest this year. Um, but as a bit of an aside, I just love the fact they call all their kind of games something bowl. The sugar yeah, bowl, yeah, sugar bowl, the rose cotton bowl, bowl, cotton bowl, yeah. you know, the iron bowl. I mean, it just adds <laughs> something to it, doesn't it? Well, they came yeah. down here to, sorry to interrupt, when they yeah. came here recently to Australia, they haven't done it in a while, but they held college games here for a number of years. I couldn't believe how many fans traveled to watch from America for just a, a college game. Absolutely. Like, they were like, yeah, I don't miss a game. We, we go everywhere. And we thought they're coming to Australia. We're going with them. Like, it's hard for us to get our head, heads around that because we're all about the pro sports here. But, yeah, I mean, the college system, we know it's big. But that big, the fact that like, fans would travel to Australia for one game. Obviously, they want to see Australia as well. But that was the reason for them going. That blew me away. It's huge. Um, I, so went to, it's I went to a party for – it was Alabama versus Michigan um, earlier in this year. And, <laughs> you know, uh, they were Americans, of course. But, yeah, the, the red and white Smarties were out. Um, you know, the streamers, the popcorn. I mean, it was a whole event. Everyone was all – all uh, got their merch on, got their hats and blazers and shirts. Uh, everyone was getting right into it. This is just a semi uh, for yeah. the Rose Bowl. Um, Alabama obviously lost the game. Michigan won in extra time. But, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, so the, the college system has its own set of fans and they don't necessarily mix with the, the NFL fans. Um, but there's no doubt in the American uh, system that, from a, at least from a broadcast point of view, that uh, th- that um, American football reigns supreme, yep. you know. So I think it's so out of the hundred most watched events every year in America, eighty-two of them are NFL matches. <laughs> Five of them are college football. On top of that, so almost ninety of the top hundred, and that's including non-sporting events, mind yep. you, like the State of the Union, some other things that might be a little bit important, like the State of the Union. Um, the Kentucky Derby gets a, a gets a Guernsey there as well, but it's overwhelmingly football of some description. So, uh, and what's really interesting about the trajectory of American broadcasting is that Americans uh, are now watching a lot less television um, than they used to, but um, American football has maintained the ratings, unlike some of the other mainline sports like basketball and baseball that have started to taper as Americans are just generally watching less television. American football is still getting those ratings. So it's number one, it's staying number one. Mm. And then there's this plan for... How do they expand? And Europe is sort of the main market that they're looking at at the moment. Um, there's genuine plans around a potential London franchise in 2025, wow. um, which is really, really soon. Yeah. Um, and I think there's going to be five games, regular season games played in the NFL outside of America this year. Mm. Um, so we're probably uh, a smaller market and further away from anything of that nature. But um, look, I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL brings out around match um, at some point in the next few years as they lay the groundwork for what they believe is a pretty fertile market here in Australia. Incredible. I mean, I, I grew up in a time where you couldn't watch it like you can now every game. You got the Super Bowl, that was it. So it was nowhere near as big amongst youngsters or adults in Australia as it is now. Um, now it's gaining at a rapid pace to catch, I say, the Premier League, which is the number one overseas sporting league, I reckon, in Australia. NBA maybe just behind. NFL's right there with it. It's enormous. Um, it's obviously the biggest code in the United States. Where would it rank after that for you um, in a business of sport perspective? NBA second, Major League Baseball, I'd imagine, would be pretty close. How would you uh, rank them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think after uh, American football, you know, basketball is still very, very strong and an amazing global footprint, much larger than the existing American football footprint outside of the States. Um, you know, baseball, I think, um, is definitely a clear third, but it's, it's ratings just have come off 
probably more than the other codes. Okay. Uh, and then you've got uh, hockey and soccer. And as we know, the MLS is kind of going from leaps and bounds. Got some really interesting, you know, you've got Matthew McConaughey and David Beckham all involved. You've got the superstars. <laughs> Little Messi's there now. So. That's it, Lionel Messi. So you've got some um, incredible investors that are yep. coming in to sort of back the growth of the sport uh, over there. What's what's interesting about the impact of uh, of American football on scholarships in America is that they really do soak up most of the available scholarships in the college system. Okay. So particularly for men, because the teams are so incredibly huge. Yeah, yeah. You know, thirty five percent of all male sports scholarships are like just straight into the um, into their football program. So there's precious little room for anything else uh, within the scholarships of American universities and colleges. Yeah. With the women's games, much more varied in terms of the scholarships that are available. And so, you know, there's, you, you're going to see, a, you know, pretty much every other sport other than football, there are more scholarships now being given to women because most colleges in this day and age mm. are now saying, well, we have to give 50-50 in relation to both men and women's scholarships. So, you know, there is an impact that the NFL is having. I think it's suffocating some of the development of some of those other smaller sports in the American colleges because of the nature of the, the, the need to just you know, always yeah. put your best foot forward in with your college football team. Really interesting. Great to get your insights uh, on all of that. John O'Flegg from Freshwater Strategies. He's been good enough to join us in the studio here at SCN 1170. Thanks so much for doing so, mate. Great. Thanks for having me, Dan.